I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Host of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and good evening, and thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday evening. That's right. It's a Tuesday evening. As you know, normally we do our shows on maybe a Thursday, or you'll see us on a Saturday morning, but hey, sometimes things line up, things work out great, and I'm just so excited that today we have a wonderful show for you, and we have an amazing guest, and we definitely have an amazing topic that we will be talking about, so thank you so much. For those of you that are joining us today or those of you that will be watching or listening later, appreciate all your support. But without further ado, I would like to introduce you tonight to our special guest. And one of the things first that I'm going to start off with our special guest is that he was named this year one of the 30 top K-12 IT influencers worth a follow. So you please make sure that you definitely follow Coach Hicks because he is doing some great things. Coach Hicks, how are you doing today? I am doing well. You know, no complaints. We are, um, you know, fresh off getting ready for the evening of the arts and culture. So I'm excited and, you know, looking forward to a restful summer. But I'm doing well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again. I know that uh, we had planned this for earlier, uh, probably a different week, but, you know, sometimes things line up in in a different way. And as you know, I sent you a little message of what happened and, you know, life throws wrenches, life throws nails. And uh, and you and I know what we're talking about. But again, thank you so much for being here. And no problem. Before we get started, uh, please, for our audience members that may not be familiar with your work yet. If you can go ahead and give us a brief introduction and your context in education so our audience members can get to know you. Absolutely. So I am the founder and director of Coding with Culture, which is a HBCU ready, um, focus based um, computer science, computational thinking, STEAM um, after school program. We offer one on one classes, um, teacher consultations, kind of all things getting um less represented populations, specifically African-American children um, involved in computer science and STEM. Um, I am also the proud STEM teacher at St. Thomas More School here in Decatur, Georgia, um, where I teach kindergarten through eighth grade students. Um, and yeah, coach of, again, now back to coaching stepping, which is the coach and coach Hicks. Um, I've been doing that for about uh, 25 years, going from my time at Clark Atlanta, um, kind of where I got my whole HBCU um, or love for HBCUs. And then um, from there on, went into a long, long, long <laughs> career in education. Um, again, come from a family of educators. So it's definitely been something that's been very important, something I've been very passionate about um, for quite a while. So, you know, excellent to be here, just you know, trying, trying to do great things, getting these young people to, uh, to where they need to be. So, excellent. Well, uh, 
Thank you so much. And of course, it is Teacher Appreciation Week. So thank you so much for what you're doing in the classrooms and for reaching out to all our students and just really opening up, uh, you know, doors for them and making these connections, which we'll jump into right now. Like we're talking about coding with culture. And uh, but before we do, you know, I just want to hear a little bit more about your origin story. I'm always, you know, intrigued with uh, the people that I, I invite on the show. You know, to me, it's like, they're education, they're educators. They're to me, they're like education superheroes. And just like every superhero, they have an origin story. And I always love to ask, what was your route or your road into education? So I know you mentioned you have come from a family of educators, but was it something that you always wanted to do? You know, it actually was, it, you know, strangely enough, I remember being very, very young and, you know, I, I always enjoyed uh, my mom and I can't, maybe my mom and my aunt Julie. Um, Aunt Jill, who were all educators. And I think the most, you know, remarkable thing was they all taught in different spaces in education, but all of them were so passionate about what they did. You know, and they put them on, Jill taught in the physical education classroom and she put on these fabulous gym shows. You know, my Julie taught younger grades, you know, the things she would do. I mean, I would love, when I wasn't in school, I wanted to go to school, you know what I'm saying, to see her teach. You know, my mom taught middle grades math for a long time and just, I mean, they were such, Again, I, I didn't know what I was looking at at that point, but it was so powerful. I think that it really sent um, a very important message. So, you know, as a kid, I played school. Everything was always kind of kid oriented. You know, when I was old enough to work at 16, I naturally went, you know, to the Chicago Park District and became a counselor. So, and again, put that same kind of passion into, um, you know, what I was doing and just it, it felt very natural. So I think it it really was always kind of a life path. Um, and I think that's why a lot of the, you know, things we're dealing with. And I'll, you know, I'll say that in education. I mean, and I mean, do they affect me? Yeah. But I think, um, you know, being raised by those educators and, and having that impact, um, you know, taught me this resilience. And again, I didn't know what I was learning, but I definitely know that I was learning it and I was, you know, um, benefiting from that kind of situation. So yeah, it was, I think teaching or working with, um, you know, young people, or again, I was, I tell my students all the time, I'm like, Mr. Hicks just does not have the patience to be sitting in one spot typing on a computer for eight hours. Like, I just know I would not be successful <laughs> at realm. So, you know, teaching allows me to really, um, you know, I mean, of course, you know, the relationships with the kids, but really just be creative. I think, you know, it, it felt like a, a good fit and, you know, we've, we've ridden the roller coaster, the goods and the bads and the in-betweens, but, you know, nothing has been to the point where I feel like, you know, it, it, it wasn't what I was meant to do. So, you know, that's Here we wonderful. are. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so, like, and how long have uh, you been in education now for? Ooh, so, okay, so we count. Uh, wow. So I guess we well we count my day camp days. I guess which I guess was sort of education. Looking at about uh, thirty years, but in the classroom, in some respect, um, it'll be twenty one this fall. So no, twenty two, twenty two. It was twenty one this fall, twenty two next fall. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. That's definitely a career. This is my 16th year in education. I did 11 years in the classroom, but now transitioned to this new role. But like I said, it, it was a slightly different path than yours. But once I got into education, definitely fell in love with it. So and mm -hmm. again, I'm definitely excited about what we're talking about today because we talked a little bit about it briefly prior to, you know, getting the start of the show. Then I was talking to you that I didn't really hone in my skills as far as uh, what STEM was or even coding for that matter. And of course, the STEM activities that come with it and the 
computational thinking and, uh, you know, really opening up the minds of, of the students until a little bit later in my career, probably in the last four years when I was in the classroom. And, uh, but I'd like to hear a little bit about yourself. Where did, uh, where did this, uh, the spark or the passion for STEM and coding, when did that start for you? Or actually, how did it start? And what just, you know, propelled you to continue with that? So interestingly enough, I actually came to Atlanta uh, on a, from a step coaching um, job. So I was uh, hired by the Jack and Jill chapter here. It's an organization that works with teens. Um, they do a big step show. So one of my cousins was a member of the chapter, came here to Atlanta um, to do some consultation work with their team and met with this principal. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you know, you do, you know, I love what you're doing with your step team at this point in Chicago. Um, you know, the whole HBCU thing, she was a grad of Spelman. So um, she's like, what would it get you to come here? So, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, this is normal networking jargon. I'm like, well, I tell you what, give me a contract and I'll come. She said, okay, and I'm a host to that. You know, you cannot, I don't care if I call you. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. You know, this, I mean, at this point I had signed my contract with my district and um, she said, hey, I have a computer science position. You know, we, this whole focus in APS, now they gave us this money. I have, you know, are you interested? And I said, well, you know, sure this point, it was like July 30th. And I said, well, when does school start? She said, August 2nd. So I packed my car up, <laughs> drove to Atlanta. And I think the thing was the, the great part, the most, the most uh, beneficial piece was there wasn't a predecessor for K-5 computer science. So it really wasn't a big thing. You really, it was still a very kind of specialized thing at that point. You had your hour of code, but not a lot of kind of continuity as to what that looked like week to week. Um, so the great part about that was I really had to kind of, you know, dig in, research, figure out, you know, the bits and pieces to pull together this curriculum um, to, you know, to get these kids through. And I, and I, one thing I definitely was passionate about is I knew I didn't want it to be, you know, we're signing on to game sites every day and just kind of playing mm -hmm. on the computer, you know. Um, and so from there, the next six years, it just, I mean, it kind of clicked when I saw the, you know, the growth. Um, really kind of the equalizing factor of computer science, you know, that I saw, I'll say computational thinking, because I think it's a little bit bigger than, you know, just the coding and the computer science piece, but, um, you know, really seeing that kids who struggled elsewhere really connected with it. You know, uh, when I moved to my new school or school before this one, um, you know, we really had a very cultural, you know, focus. And then we had the pandemic. So I had to, I was kind of forced to, again, go through that, the motions of, um, figuring out best practices, you know, how do I get these ideas across so that I'm, you know, making good use of these kids time and that we're being productive. And so, you know, computer science, it just, it, I think it grew me so much as an educator, it naturally, um, you know, it just kind of fit. And so I, I think that's what kind of made it, um, the thing that just became my passion. I mean, I was really, you know, of course, working with kids under different umbrellas was always a, um, a passion. So, you know, whether it was arts or was stepping or, um, but computer science, I just saw so many positive things come from that, you know, and then with the virtual space, um, that's kind of where the, you know, origin of coding with culture was, was seeing kids who even struggle in the in-person space, how computational thinking and these project-based learning, you know, units, lessons or whatever that were coupled with this cultural piece, how they really, really flourish in that space. So I think it was just inspiring enough uh, for me as an educator to you know, keep me wanting to do a little bit more. So. Wow. That's wonderful. You know, and 
You know, kind of like what you described there is very similar to, again, like you said, you, you found that passion you had to dig, you had to look for, you had to search for, but all with that mindset of creativity and innovativeness and also risk-taking because, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, there was often times where maybe you had a lesson set up and maybe it didn't quite go as mm -hmm. well as you wanted it. But that's why it's important, you know, to build that kind of culture of risk-taking mm -hmm. within your classroom. So your students can continue to grow. Um, one thing that I, I'd like to mention that, that I love that you said was just making those connections to culture. And for myself, you know, bringing the, the computational thinking experience to my students and living here in this area, you know, language was a barrier as far as, you know, we had a lot of students that were learning the language as students that were a little self-conscious because maybe they couldn't pronounce the, the words correctly. And then you had all different levels. But when I started the code club and then when I started doing a lot more of the computational thinking using scratch and within the classroom, what I loved about it is that everybody was on a level playing field as far as learning a new language. And although that language barrier as far as the, the, the voice, you know, was still there, the students were just embracing and communicating with one another. And sharing ideas where that didn't even matter anymore. They were just so focused on this new language. And it was something magical that happened there. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me just a little bit, maybe some of the experiences that you had those aha moments or like, uh, you know, as your students are working and learning, the, uh, you know, computational thinking with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, I, and that you, you quoted the, you know, the, you used the perfect word. I think it's, it's definitely those magical moments, you know, where you, you realize it's kind of the, and I think it's, it's, it hits it crossroads in so many great positive moments because we know now that, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, 21st century college, and again, big emphasis on the word and career, you know, there's so many different, uh, entry points for students now, where if they are literate in this concept, you know what I'm saying? Again, not even just the coding, because that's just one very, very small, you know, part of the whole equation. But again, if kids are literate in this way of thinking, in this way of problem solving, it allows them so many different opportunities that cut out or at least minimize the factors that often inhibit them. Again, being able to afford to go to a, you know, a four-year institution, you know, as much as I, you know, support and definitely, you know, push the HBCU experience, you know, realizing that some students, you know, financially, that's not the best or most responsible choice. So, but again, there's now very realistic pathways that if we give these children these tools, they can still be as successful, you know what I'm saying? And still exhibit and still experience some of that same success. And I think, you know, um, seeing that in kids, you know, and like I said, in those lessons where, you know, that was not your necessary intent. And again, I, I'd love for them to pick up the actual coding concepts, but again, to see those children experience that boost of self-esteem or you know, being able to realize that if they cannot, you know, produce on a test or maybe they don't function best in the, the fill in the blanks environment, that there is merit in the way that their brains work and the natural talents that they have. Because I mean, I've, some of the things I've seen as cliche as it sounds have truly been brilliant. You know, and these are kids that have struggled in other areas. And I think that's that those aha moments that you know, positive energy, the growth you see from your kids, again, going back to your earlier question, that's what connects to that passion because 
you know, I've seen it in other, you know, subject areas or academic disciplines, but you know, that computational thinking, because I think, again, you don't have to be the test taker. You don't have to be the, you know, the kid that necessarily performs in those traditional ways. But I mean, if we look at the world, you know, as we discussed earlier, the way it goes now, I don't really know if that's what we're looking at as a measure of success anymore. So I think, you know, the, to see the, the, uh, confirmation, I think for a lot of kids who normally don't get it otherwise that they're good. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you got some tools that you're ready to move with and, and do some positive things with. And so, yeah, absolutely. I, I see it, you know, every day. <laughs> no, that is wonderful. Like everything that you said yep. is so inspirational and motivating because I recall seeing that when I was in the classroom with my students, yeah. like you mentioned. And one thing that I love, about <laughs> is that we do have a lot of students that you know, may not excel in what the traditional methods of, like you said, like, you know, A through A, B, C, or D, you know, but it doesn't mean that they don't know the subject. I mean, one of the things was, you know, even being able to assess my students and now my principal probably, I mean, you know, he's no longer my principal there, but I do, I'm still friends with him. But one of the things that I would do is like, I would have the students, that was their assessment their assessment was hey we're going to create the water cycle you know in scratch and you're learning the computational aspect they're being creative and in a non-traditional a b c d e approach but just the way that the kids were just so hyped and pumped and excited and collaborating with one another and asking questions and what i loved about it it was that equalizer in the sense of we had students with different uh, you know socioeconomic backgrounds yeah. but that didn't even matter because the kids were just so pumped with the subject that they were it was it was just amazing the way that they all came together people that students that normally would not hang out during lunch or maybe at recess now at recess they're like hey you know i I did this or they're with the chromebooks or you know or they come in during lunch they're like mr mendoza can we come in during lunch so we can work on this and i thought that it was just amazing you know the relationships but i know i agree 100 percent. i think you know that is the you know i think the beautiful part about it is that you know well two things and i think you know i I definitely want to speak to your point about what you know you spoke you said about the you know, how the kids perform. But I think if as educators, you know, we really take opportunity to pause and say, okay, when we, you know, as cliche as the term college and career ready has become in, in 2022, and I think, you know, I'm a big believer of everything that happens to kind of give us these messages, you know, and, and so again, you know, what did we learn from the pandemic? You know, at the beginning, there was a lot of talk about reimagining education. And I think, you know, as we said before, you know, we came on air when we had to transition from the one room schoolhouse into this model of education that served or fed the, you know, industrial revolution. We, as much as we say, you know, STEM, we use these buzzwords, information age, 21st century learning. It's like, I think that pandemic was like, hey, here it is. It, we're not, we're not tiptoeing anymore. Like, as, as, as uncomfortable or, you know, as much as the shift as it was from those, again, as we transitioned from the one room schoolhouse into these, you know, K through eight, nine through 12 system, I'm pretty sure that those teachers that were in the middle of that transition, it was rough, you know, I mean, and I think we, we have to be very honest and own the fact of, you know, our, what are respectful tasks? What are respectful outcomes that we're asking these kids to do? Because it's, we're not, 
we're not where we where we were even you know in my 20 year span of education so you know if we're truly preparing those kids you know these methods that are non-traditional success stories you know they're very, they're actually are becoming more and more traditional i mean i think if we really realistically look at what these kids are going to be asked to do um when they do whether they choose you know four year traditional college path or go into you know technology or whatever other workforce it's not the same so i think we we have to look at what our standards of success are um and again computational thinking all of those experience again how many different ways can these kids ex express how they learn because again it may it may not have been relevant when i was in 8th grade now mm -hmm. yeah it is cuz they go to google and make $91,000 here on, you know, knowing how to sit and talk to people and, and draw a diagram and make it make sense. And, you know, put all of these pieces together. Like that's it. It's, we're not in the worksheet society anymore. So. Yeah, no, no, no. Well said, well said. Well, coach, let's talk a little bit more about what you see. I, I mean, what was it? Two semesters ago, I, I took a course and it was a special topics in STEM and we were talking about STEM education and how here we're trying to really push for STEM. I mean, but it becomes sometimes more of a buzzword and people have a misconception of what STEM is. It's like, oh, well, here are these straws, create this. Here's the marshmallows and the toothpicks. Here, now we're, we're, we're doing STEM and that's not what STEM is all about. There's kind of like that misconception of, yeah, we're trying to fit it in or calling ourselves a STEM school, but we're really not, you know, affording those types of programs at, or doing it right, doing it the correct way. Uh, what is it that you've seen or maybe just some ideas, uh, you know, coming from you, what should STEM look like or maybe an example of maybe some of the work that you're doing and or maybe, let me rephrase that, what STEM should look like and maybe what STEM is not. <laughs> Okay, so I think, you know, um, and I'll go in reverse. So I think with the is with the not piece, only because you I think you so eloquently pointed it out. You know, so much of STEM is lost now, I think, in these, you know, and again, if and I don't think it necessarily has to be time based, but I just I see a lot of those things. You know, we're gonna pull out some materials, we're gonna let kids build. Now, framed in the right perspective, or you know, making sure that and I think the easiest way to do it is that there is a and how it kind of uses my, my checkpoint, is there a tangible solution to a realistic problem? You know, and then how do we go through, um, you know, these steps? And I use, I love the design thinking process versus engineering design process because it, it, it um, emphasizes the point of empathy. So we, we, you know, and I think our kids can all benefit from, you know, realistic ways of kind of saying, hey, let's, frame ourselves as we go through this process is there a way for us to help somebody else because i mean of course in the world we're living living in we can definitely deal with more kind people so um but you know just i think it's really that process you know so even if it is a toothpick and marshmallow activity you know our kids going through a actual defining a problem are we you know and again i think one of the key skills with this generation is does it require some form of persistence is there room for kids to be able to test, to, you know, iterate, to fail and all of those kind of things. And then how do you in an age appropriate, grade appropriate way, you know, make sure that they can see those steps. Cause I think that's always the thing I've, I've, uh, again, kind of in the trial and error of computer science and STEM is that so much of the things are these 
really cool kind of field trip experiences. So the kids do this cool experience, something, you know, phone blows out and, you know, for, for two days and then, you know, two weeks later, you ask them, okay, you know, what did we get from that? And if they can't at least say, you know, hey, I tried, you know, here's this algorithmic way of thinking through this solution or, you know, here's where I failed here, you know, or here's how, I, you know, um, you know, analyze feedback and made these steps. So, because again, these are the skills that, you know, from the trends that I'm seeing, our kids are going to need to be able to have to be successful when they're, you know, in college and definitely into career, you know, where they are. So I think, you know, again, if it's fun, you know, I, I love a good time. So, you know, we can incorporate movement and, you know, as many different kind of things. But I think, you know, if I had to kind of give a, a list of, of bullet points, definitely, you know, I think the more authentic the problem, the better. So if there's a way to, you know, and I don't think necessarily has to always be a kind of save the world type situation, but, you know, what is the takeaway from this? Are we looking at how to brainstorm an idea or how to collaborate? So I think just making it purposeful and naming that for the kids, but two, um, that they're going through some type of, you know, design thinking process and that they can see that and they can reflect on that. So. Yeah, that's good. good. Just have to make it meaningful. Yeah. And I think that's correct. You hit, you hit it right in the head. You know, oftentimes it's just more of do STEM for STEM sake, just to say that we did it or, you know, it's part of just a program. But, you know, one of the things too, that we were talking about is like, what are some of the barriers or roadblocks that we see, you know, in the class? And it was great because a lot of us, you know, we've heard the word STEM or we've seen it, or maybe, you know, through our curriculum or say, Hey, we want to push more STEM. But really, you know, some of the barriers have always been there hasn't been enough PD, you know, to really understand, you know, for the teachers uh, how to really implement this into a curriculum and how to go about it. Like you mentioned, you know, some of the great ways is making it meaningful. You're solving a real world situation. Uh, one of the other barriers that we talked about was more for the student side is how do we encourage them to continue to follow in this track? Because oftentimes, you know, there there's you not enough, we always say there aren't any enough women in STEM, you know, maybe, you know, the boys, you know, they go into STEM a little bit longer. Um, and so it's that representation of showing students and saying, hey, look at, we have a female uh, chemist and look at what they're doing and, and making it relevant to them so they can say, hey, I can do that. That person looks like me. That person you know, I could be that in the future. So that's something that I know that we've seen and we, we've discussed here during our course uh, as far as barriers of entry. What are your thoughts on that? What can we do better to help encourage our students to stay within that path? Well, I think it's through, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a couple of different angles we can look at that. I think, you know, that's part of my big, you know, push for HBCUs, I think, uh, specifically for African, well, and I would say, because I mean, HBCUs traditionally were, you know, created to serve African-American students, but I think it also benefits a diverse group of students who, you know, benefit from certain learning styles, or different environments, but um, that's one piece. So, you know, I think the thing I love about it is it gives kids really, really cool, you know, subject matter to create these projects around, but it also gives a very realistic path of schools where, you know, we're already asking, you know, women of color or, you know, African, whatever population you may speak of to kind of take this risk, you know, so now the, at least, you know, I want to make sure that we are presenting a very realistic path that by design, 
is built for your success. So if you're going to take the plunge and try something, these, some of these STEM fields that traditionally there are not a large people at the other end waiting for you, you know, at least let's put you in an environment where your professors, your, you know, everybody at an HBCU, whatever their background, we know what they, you know, they're, they're pretty much we can assume are there for your success and will mentor you and pull, pour into you and, and, and build that confidence that's needed um, to trailblaze into careers that, you know, again, why we even have a term that's called the digital divide. But um, second, I think, is, re is providing that realistic um, subject matter. You know, and I think one of the things that I saw, especially again, navigating that K-5 space when it really wasn't a, a set scope and sequence was there's a lot of flash. You know, and I, I love the hour of code and what it did to get kids excited. But the problem was, and where I saw, and my kids who did really well with you know, the various block-based coding or tutorial-based situations was once it became JavaScript or Python or CS or, you know, C plus or, you know, any of the languages, and it wasn't this gamified experience, you know, they were my brightest coders for five years, but there wasn't a realistic kind of, okay, let's pull the bandaid off a little slow, you know, to get you ready. Because again, I mean, as, as meaningful as that spark is, if we're not, if it's not sustainable, then we're not really addressing the problem, right? Because we don't need kids to get excited. I mean, we do until, but we need that excitement to parallel into this pathway and getting prepared to be able to do what you need to do. So I think that's kind of where the computational thought piece comes in, you know, and, and again, really, because again, something that gets kids from that fun, hey, let's get you excited about coding into, okay, you know, if this is something you want to pursue, now let's start getting your, your tool belt ready so that you're ready to perform, um, you know, when you need to. So I think it's, you know, again, providing that representation, but also backing that up with, you know, rigorous and yes, you know, culturally relevant so the kids can connect and all of those things, but there has to be some quality substance there because again, we can get them excited, but if they're not, you know, once they leave their favorite teacher or the fun teacher that did it this way, <laughs> You know, and I think, you know, that was my thing being in that K-5 space. My kids were like, oh, yeah, coach chicks all day. I'll coach, yep, call me whenever he said. And then they would get to the middle school like, mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, coach, let's talk a little bit more about your program. You know, that we're talking about, you know, coding with culture. You know, where did this come about? You know, the idea about this. And, and tell us a little bit more. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and also share um, the screen here. And then that okay. way people can, I did share the link to the website. Uh, and then that way you can talk to us a little bit more about this. Okay. So this actually grew. So interestingly enough, I have one, um, <clears throat> Coding with Culture grew from one of the students I worked with at um, my former school, Kendezi, uh, when I was teaching here in charter school in Atlanta. And a student who really just, you know, in person, you know, loved computer science and loved coaches, but really just kind of struggled to um, get it, you know? And so we moved into the COVID space, of course, not, you know, any choice of ours, but, um, this kid was doing amazing things, you know? And I mean, just really, really connecting with the HBCU, um, stuff because I'm like, okay, well, I have to kind of make this fun now. Like they're not, you know, they're choosing whether or not to sign in. Like I do want them to get some, um, you know, piece of the puzzle, but I'm an elected. So now I'm, you know, I'm even, I'm taking another step back. And so seeing this young man's, um, you know, growth. I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is, you know, um, now that I am home, you know, is there a way that I can, you know, get this to more people? So 
um, just kind of piloted a couple different, you know, one-on-one classes, friends of mine who had gone to, you know, I attended CAU or knew from, you know, some of the neighboring HBCUs, um, you know, signed their kids up and we, you know, I've developed curriculum as it came. And so it's still very, I mean, and that, and decidedly so, I think a very grass uh, roots organization, you know, I, I, I'm more about, and I think that's one of the things about being in the classroom as long as I have is that it's so much more about authenticity to me. So, you know, we're not the biggest or we're not, you know, coding with 9,000 kids. And I want to make sure that, you know, the kids that we are impacting um, are getting, again, those things I just said, this, this rigor. And again, they're able to take something away from, you know, even if it's not coding, if it's, you know, just I've learned how to, you know, my mind has been open to HBCUs or like you said, the fact there are scientists of color. So, I mean, there's so many different ways it impacts kids. Um, but again, you know, I, I saw the, the impact it had, I mean, the literal turn, I mean, 180 for this kid. And I'm like, okay, you know, Hicks, this is, this might be another, you know, way that you can kind of, you know, push this message of excellence and get these kids prepared for the next step. So, yeah, it was a very, I mean, it, it came up overnight, you know, I mean, I've always loved, you know, from the one thing that's always kind of been the consistent with my kids is just, um, HBCUs, because I know how much important to who I am as an educator, you know, as an adult, as a person. Um, and I just see how it really, uh, or saw the way that it can impact, um, young people. So that was the thing that, you know, went from coach X to the title one, you know, reading intervention list and step coach to, you know, uh, athletic director to, you know, now computer science, STEM teacher. So, um, yeah, coding with culture really was just a kind of a natural ebb and flow, you know, something I really wish, why well, I think I, I do it without, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot sometimes, but it, it never feels overwhelming because it's something that I, I truly, truly love to do. And I love the impact that it has on, you know, the young people that I work with. So. And that is so wonderful. So wonderful. So if you can tell us maybe just a little bit also, as far as your program is concerned, I know you mentioned, you know, Hour of Code and so on. Now, uh, what other uh, technology is it that you incorporate? Are there any specific languages or do the students get a little taste of everything, you know, during the, you know, your programs? Well, it varies. We do a couple of things. I try to, um, so the one-on-ones, of course, are a little bit more family-based. So we do a consultation, kind of see where the kids are. Because uh, I do, I mean, again, age really has, it's interesting to prove how there's no, I mean, how, again, the great equalizer we talked about before. I mean, I've had fourth graders that are like, no, Coach X, I'm, I'm trying to do Java. I'm trying to, you know, <clears throat> you know, really kind of get into deep coding. So I think um, it really, really depends um, on the one-on-ones. We try to offer, because it, as far as instruction-wise, you know, it is just me. I'm still trying to figure out ways to teach other people how to do what I do. So. Um, but I, I like it because it, it means I still have my hand on, you know, my products. And I think right now, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a, in a place where that can still be, you know, the driving force, um, behind what I do. So, um, all that to say with the classes, I kind of go with, um, that project-based learning. We look more kind of at the unit, if that makes sense, and then see how many different types of technology. So, yeah, you know, we might do a little bit of the coding. Um, the kids do the design your HBCU. They work with um, Google Sites, you know, for the younger kids. They're getting just an example. But again, even that website, you know, ties in. We talk about graphic design that ties, you know, to the psychology of color and why we use the fonts that we use. So there's a lot of, and I really try to make sure I've impose or kind of comp- um, 
offer as many different entry points into this design thinking, computational thinking world. So, you know, um, those, our camps or our classes really kind of have a more multi, um, I guess, platform approach. Yeah. So, you know, we definitely do a lot of the scratch. Scratch is definitely a go-to for, just makes my life very easy because <laughs> they can yes. create, you know, it just offers so much room for uh, kids to offer, you know, create digital artifacts, really about anything, you know, and I love the tutorial as the kind of, you know, guided practice if you want to break it into lesson terms. But um, I look for those, you know, things like, I mean, the Google suite, of course, is nice. You know, uh, I've recently fallen in love with the Minecraft for education. So there's so many cool little, you know, tools, but I think using them as standalones as far as like, you know, getting the kids used to it, but I think it's so much richer when, again, you kind of think theme again, so kind of going back to that project-based learning and then, okay, how do I incorporate Scratch and, you know, are, how can we build a website and how can we incorporate, you know, is there a way to do, you know, incorporate physical computing into this? And then I think that's really when you send the message home to kids. And again, going back to that, these are these project teams that we're sending our kids at some point. Definitely, I mean, we see it now, but by the, imagine 10 years from now, you know, those are the skills they're going to have to be able to, you know, that would be the most valuable for them. I think. Yeah, no. And I agree with you 100%, you know, as educators such as yourself and, and myself and many others that are out there, you know, we definitely have to be forward thinkers as far as what the future of education is, you know, once our students are, you know, how are we prepping them from, from high school to whatever level they're going to next? And also for the future of work, I mean, now, you know, coding, a lot of programming, the, a lot of talk ab around Web3 and, you know, the way that we are going to be connected with, uh, you know, people, things, places, and of course the tech and everything. So websites are looking different. They're definitely going to need a lot of programmers. You know, you're seeing a lot of that. You're seeing a lot of the augmented and virtual reality. Um, so definitely the, the future is bright, but if we can get the students to learn these skills at an early, you know, age and at continuous, you know, not just well, you have that one teacher that does it in, you know, let's say in fifth grade, and then they don't see anything from sixth grade, seventh, and then no, okay, maybe there's another teacher that will do it in eighth grade and then, you know, get into robotics in high school. We definitely need to have some of that consistency. Uh, before we kind of wrap up and, you know, our show and everything, this has been an amazing conversation and I'm really yeah, excited. Absolutely. You know, I've taken so much from this, but for, I, I wanted to ask you for any school districts that are out there that, you know, how or what advice would you give them on a way that they can incorporate culture into either computational uh you know, thinking courses, either if they're doing coding or even in STEM instruction, what would be some of the ways that you would, you know, say, hey, here's some simple ways to implement this? Um, I think, you know, I, and I tell teachers, you know, the the, the few um, times I've been fortunate enough to speak with teachers in the training space, um, I always tell them, you know, authenticity. I mean, HBCUs are my thing. And I mean, I, if you're looking for inspiration, I would love, you know, of course, I'd love to share the wealth. Um, but, you know, I think looking at Number one, the teachers, you know, some of those passions. I mean, there's so many different things and interests and, you know, genres of things that fit into um, or ways that you can demonstrate computational thinking or, you know, that put it into the the how of the lesson or the project. Um, so I think, you know, the teacher passion is a great place to begin, but also 
um, surveying those students, you know, and in an age appropriate way and figuring out, you know, how do we poll, how do we poll them? Um, because again, this is a kind of very abstract concept. So I think when they're, they are again, very tangible, realistic, you know, real life connections, it makes the kids, it makes, I guess it makes, makes it make sense, excuse me, for the kids as to why you're asking me to try this thing. So why do I care that variables or loops or the algorithms for, you know, even less, you know, why do I care that they exist? But I think when we talk about, um, and connecting it to prop, you know, to not necessarily just problems, but, uh, interests or topics, um, you know, that are passionate to the teacher, or, you know, if there's a way to connect the, you know, state curriculum or district curriculum to a passion that you can, you know, gauge from your students. And I think you know, the win is, you know, it's win-win, but if we have to err in the, in the, on the side of either one, I would definitely say, you know, look for those realistic, you know, when we say real life, things that are important to, you know, the, the school culture, the culture of kids that you teach. Um, but again, I think teacher passion is a great way because I mean, I have a lot of kids who have never heard about HBCUs, but because, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about as an educator. I'm able to, you know, teach it, talk about it, you know, um, present it in a way that the kids get excited about it. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's several different ways to even approach that. But I think if, if in, in a tiered method, I would definitely say the student interest trumps all. Because there have been, like, my kids love the music production with ear sketch. So that has been a constant in my classroom. I wasn't here with it, but because they were so passionate about it, things they created from that was so powerful, you know, it was worthwhile in that project, um, or excuse me, connecting computational mm -hmm. thinking that piece. You know, and, and I love what you just said right there, you know, you weren't too familiar with this platform, but the students were, and a lot of times that's sometimes the best way to learn is you're learning from your students. And they, some of them are already the subject matter expert on a specific platform and we are just wowed by them. And I always, you know, that's what I love that, you know, with the little that I knew and I shared it with students. And then they would, oh, well, look, did you know that you can do this and do this? Uh, you know, by the end of the day, when I had my fourth block, I, I looked like the subject matter expert, but it was because I was learning from my students. Let me tell you, I'm, look, <laughs> I, I'm, I so believe in working smarter, not harder. I tell my, and, you know, my middle school kids, I was just, I tweeted about that today. You know, we were work, working on their um, design of HBCU thing in uh, Minecraft for our art, arts night this weekend, this week. And so, you know, I came in, I, you know, of course, cause you know, I am actually the adult that's paid to be there, you know, and be in charge, but you know, they love the, you know, roll of the eyes, oh, coach it, we've got it. You know, we don't, we don't know. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, I try to eavesdrop on the conversation so I can at least, you know, sound like I know what I'm talking about. But I think to me, that's been the most powerful part of our teaching science is that I don't have to be the expert. You know, and like I said, these, that's what these kids are going into. We're not, you know, we're not pushing them into factories where there's this, you know, boss that is overseeing every, you know, you, you know, repeating this task for eight hours. No, you are in this think space where there might be a project leader, but he's not going, okay, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. It's this continual, you know, collaborative process. And I think, so again, if we're preparing, what are we preparing our students for and how do we reverse engineer our educational process, so to speak? So I, I mean, I think that's, 
hits the nail on the head as to why computer science and STEM was it for me. Oh, no, I agree with you 100%. Well, this has been an, an amazing conversation. Coach. I've loved learning from you and just seeing your passion and hearing about all the work that you're doing. And in a lot of ways, you know, my experience, uh, you know, mirrors a little bit of yours. And I'm just excited that you're out there and you're pushing this and students are growing and they're learning and you're you're doing something amazing for them and being able to open up doors that they don't know yet that are may not be open for them. But as of right now, those doors are definitely going to be open for them. So thank you so and much. And if not, build them. Yeah. They're not open building. Yes. So thank you so <laughs> much for what you're doing. But before we wrap up, I always love to ask these last three questions to all my yeah. guests. So first question would be, Coach Hicks, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, okay. So do I, am I including this billboard? Or is it just a billboard? Uh, well, it's, it's just a billboard. I mean, whatever you want on it. So it's free reign. So. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. I think I would probably do a, a HBCU of the month. I would do a free of charge. So I would give it, I would donate it to a different, probably a lesser known, a smaller HBCU, um, but do a, um, you know, make it free of charge so they could advertise. And I put okay. it like my high school. Excellent. Good, good. Great answer. I love it. All right. So Coach Hicks, this one's a difficult question for a lot of my guests, but you know how kryptonite makes Superman weak, you know, it seriously weakens him. At this point in time, or maybe in the past or currently, what would you say is your edu kryptonite? Oh, so like that makes, okay. So that I'm Oh, yeah, it just makes you weak. Yeah, I mean, you either hear it and you just like cringe and you're like, no, or, you know, just, ah, you know, just. Oh, okay. Oh, you about to get me in trouble. Okay. So <laughs> I, think, I think for me, it's just, you know, when we take the joy out of education, like I, you know, specifically for children of color, like I hate the fact that we don't want, you know, children of color to experience joy. You know, six-year-olds are not quiet. Um, they don't stand with both feet on the line. Um, you know, they don't, and I don't see any merit in that. I, one thing I love about my classroom, you know, my children are happy. You know, we, we have fun. We, we, you know, they get on my nerves sometimes. I love them, <laughs> but they're six and I want them to be authentically six. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in teaching in diverse environments, um, is that we don't, we don't, we joy you know we in a lot of our most you know troubled schools it's like these are their babies they don't you know let's let them dance and move around and make a little bit of noise you know we can still teach them and there's a way to still hold them accountable for some things but i just i hate when we don't allow children to experience joy you know excellent excellent great answer appreciate that and the last question coach hicks if this was your podcast I hinted maybe someday we'll have a, <laughs> but if this was your podcast and I was your guest, what would be one question you would like to ask me as your guest? Well, that's a good one. Um, I think my question would be, if you had to choose one grade level and subject and or subject, um, to teach, but you had to teach it for the rest of your life, what would you teach and why? What would it be and why? Ooh, okay. I would definitely be teaching fifth grade and I would love to be teaching science and mathematics. Um, 
you know, I started off as a math teacher and been a math teacher like all my life. And I'm st- I, I learned some new things from our current content specialist in our district that just blew my mind, you know, and actually doing it hands-on, use the use of manipulatives. And of course, n- not going through a traditional, uh, you know, college of ed or even a math major, but going through business school and then finding a pivot and falling into math just because I had enough credits. Well, kind of we were talking about our conversation. I taught math the way I learned math, but I can't teach my students the way that I learned now. So definitely implementing the hands-on, I would definitely be that one teacher that would check out the Chromebook cart each and every day. And we yep. would definitely be coding for math. We would be coding for science. And we would definitely bring all of that together and just having one of those classrooms where, you know, yep. you are allowed to be creative, take risks, and still be within our sandbox of meeting our curriculum. And I, I would definitely be very happy with that. <laughs> okay. that's a, I think that's a solid answer. Yes, I love the, we did a, a Disney theme park unit on um, area. And I mean, the stuff these kids created, and I was actually in Minecraft for education. And the stuff, I mean, I was blown away. And like I said, I mean, kids who were probably, if you put that same problem in, on a word, they were like, Coach X, what are you talking about? <laughs> but... <laughs> They were able to, I mean, come up with some things. And it's just like, again, though, you said it best, those aha moments. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Coach Hicks, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom, your knowledge, everything that you you shared, your passion. And it was just an amazing conversation, very fruitful. I am very pumped. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And To all our viewers, all our listeners, thank you so much for making my EdTech life what it is today. Thank you so much for all of your continual support. So please make sure that you visit our website at www.myedtech.life. Give us a review. Check out all the amazing episodes that we've had. And we're going to continue to bring you some more amazing episodes. And again, reach out to us if you're ever interested on being a guest reach out to us. We can definitely make it happen. And I appreciate every single one of you. And guys, always remember, until next time, don't forget, always stay techie, my friends. (laughs) 